In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, what is threat intelligence? Part one. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you'll learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring what is threat intelligence. Joining me today to help answer this question is Rob Gresham, former practice lead, security operations for McAfee. Rob, how are you? Tim, I'm doing awesome. Thanks for inviting me on this. Uh, actually, I'm doing actually really, really awesome. I, as you just mentioned, I'm a former practice lead for McAfee, and I'm taking a one-month sabbatical to kind of get my head level set it back in and into a servant, you know, mindset, so I can help support a bunch of other things that I'm going on in in our beautiful state of South Carolina. Do you want to make a little pitch for a new new opportunity? <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, the, the reality is, is that, you know, we're trying, um, there are several things in, in South Carolina that we're trying to accomplish. And one of those things is like getting threat intelligence um, shared and open, like free the data kind of thing, right? Because the reality is, is that if we want to be able to do threat intelligence, we need to make it at wire speed. Um, the data itself has to be at wire speed, but that leads us into that whole what is threat intelligence question, right, um, that you brought up. And that really s stems off. It's not the data. Threat intelligence is the analysis that comes after the data, right? It's not IP addresses and domains. It's how those IP addresses and domains relate to a particular uh, host artifact or a TTP, a techniques, tactics, or procedure that is, that is characterized to a specific actor model that you can create from those things and and that therefore that gives you some kind of actionable ability to understand and and because threat intelligence essentially comes back from the military intelligence mindset of know your enemy right and you know in uh who is it uh um, Chris Sanders would tell me I failed immediately, number one, if I mentioned Sun Tzu. So, but in the reality of knowing your enemy, that's one of the things in the art of war is you need to know your enemy. And if you know your enemy, then you can know how they move, how they maneuver. And that starts to understand. And then what threat intelligence really does is make an in-person more of a threat mindset. They start to know their enemy, act like their enemy um, and a lot of people ask, well, do you do penetration testing? And I'm like, no, I do, I do defense, but I'm like the little fat kid that hangs out with a bunch of, not to be, um, rude, but I'm a little fat guy that hangs out with a bunch of pen testers and says, Hey man, what did you do? Oh, you know, I'm a little awkward. How'd you do that? That was really cool. Um, meanwhile, I'm like, Ooh, that's really cool. Like, um, we were at the Palmetto Cyber Defense Challenge this weekend, and one of the pen testers was like, yeah, I was using Docker containers, and we were hacking them. Did you know that I could really get, like, this Python script to go in and run bash commands inside a Docker container to replace files, and I don't have to destroy the Docker container? And I'm like, that's really cool, and I'm making notes to myself going – read up on pythons that destroy docker containers because that's how the cloud's built right, right. so because <laughs> bad guys will do stuff like this <laughs> right right so and so it's important too to understand um you know what you're up against and and what i guess affects your organization yes exactly so why is it important well so for a CISO or ciso chief information security officer 
What's important to him? Risk, right? He needs to be able to manage the risk. And a lot of times, if we go back the old school way, right, we have hazard equals um, the likelihood of an event times the impact, right? And that's the old OSHA way of looking at things. We've only modified the physical risk reference very little by saying, okay, well, risk is equal to some likelihood of some vulnerability or malware. And what is the business impact? And then SANS modified it a little and said, well, you know, depending on the type of threat, depends on the likelihood of that particular impact. So if you take a hacktivist, their threat and attention level isn't quite as nearly as good as, say, a nation state actor who, who's going to take their time to go after you. They're going to do all their reconnaissance. They're going to go through all the steps. They're going to they're going to spend the deep dark time to be able to go after you. And so when you look at that from that perspective, you have the threat, you have the likelihood of a vulnerability or malware, and then you have impact. A lot of people are missing. Well, how do I adjust the impact? And that's where threat intelligence kind of makes it important because it gives you two pieces of the equation. It may not tell you the vulnerability. It may tell you what the vulnerability looks like or what it's going to leave behind, but it tells you what the actor TTP is going to look like, the, the actor threat. And then it's going to tell you what the impact's going to be. For example, hacktivists, what do they like to do? They like to brag about what they're doing, right? They want you to know that they did it, right? The second thing is, is they want to stop your availability, whatever it is. They don't necessarily go in to destroy your data. That's another nation state actor. But they want to just stop and show how proud they were for a time period and show how they had your stuff, right? Or give your stuff away. Maybe uh, give your information to WikiLeaks or something along the lines. That's the kind of thing that they want to do, right? Where a nation state actor would go in and be as low and as quiet until they wanted to destroy something. And then they would either destroy something or disrupt a capability you have, like, you know, like the, uh, the Ukraine power grid hacking event where they hacked the power grid and they basically turned off all the power, right? On the other side of the coin, you have um, nation state actors that are going in and going into full SCADA modes with Shamoon and uh, like the new version, going in and just wiping all the drives off your system so that your uh, so that your system won't boot anymore, and just destroying that piece. There's different varying levels, but the intent is still the same to kind of stop whatever activity is going on. But they've laid dormant the entire time. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Absolutely. So, so I guess where does this where does threat intelligence come from? So threat intelligence. The, the history of it, right? Or are you talking about the history or you're no, talking well, yeah, about let's what go, do we generate? Yeah, let's, well, let's go through the history first because I, I do like the uh, military component of it. So that, I find that interesting. But yeah, then, you know, where where do people actually find threat intelligence? So when we're talking about traditional threat intelligence, we're talking about old school military threat intelligence, going back to like Sun Tzu and moving forward. The, where I do a lot of my basis of threat intelligence or, or threat intelligence training, um, I base it out of a common military document, uh, the joint uh, document, joint intelligence document or J2 document. Um, and that J2 document basically says there's three types of intelligence, strategic, operational, and tactical. Strategic being long-term decision-making, right? You're one to two years out, six months out, could be as far out as five years out, and you're trying to make a decision, like whether it's a procurement decision or it's a long-term vision, 
of how you're going to run your security program, whatever the case may be. And this is really tied to a CISO. So when you give a CISO, like, say, I don't know, the APT1 report, does he care what's in that report? Because it's not telling him what the long-term vision is, right? It's not other than it's selling their particular product. But when you look at, like, the Verizon data breach report, that's a long-term CISO vision report. It's telling you, here are the current trends. These are the things that have happened over the last year. And this is, you know, maybe where we think the new, the new priorities are go. But when you start talking about operational intelligence, that's about, okay, what's happening now? And that really is targeted to the right now decision makers, right? The, the active uh, security director, the active uh, guys in a security, uh, the security operations manager, or guys on an operations floor making active decisions. They need to know what APT1 looks like, right? And then turn around and go back and say, okay, well, this is APT28, TTP. These are the IP addresses. These are the hashes. These are the artifacts they leave behind. They need to make those decisions now. They need to be able to search those things, right? And then you have the tactical intelligence. And the tactical intelligence is really can be, there's a UK report that says it, it could be tactical and technical, right? Because we want to separate the software from the human. But in my experience over the last 20 plus years, 26 some years of doing military things, um, I found that tactical is still where the rubber meets the road. The tactical intelligence is the practitioner. It's the guy who wants to tear apart the piece of malware. He wants to know exactly what technical components are being left behind and how the actor starts to move, really getting into their TTPs and how they change their TTPs over time. So that then when you take that three-scope approach, you kind of get a full range of threat intelligence. Now, when we look at that, that's awesome, right? But I've kind of described somebody's pyramid. Have you heard of the pyramid I'm going to talk about? Uh, it's not coming to mind, but I think I know what you're talking about. I think I think everybody, or at least here we go, another threat intelligence talk with David Bianco's Pyramid of Pain. David, thank you. If you even hear this podcast, that'd be awesome. But I've literally got, I have one of his business cards in the Pyramid of Pain, and really the Pyramid of Pain is driven by the mindset of you need to automate the the most trivial things to the actor as quickly as possible and concentrate on the things that make more pain for the adversary, whichever point of perspective you're looking at it, right? So for us, the most pain for us is chasing every hash, every IP address, and every domain out there because there's millions. And they can stage them out over and over again, and we don't even know they're there, and then they lay them out on us without any question. So what David talks about is that that lower half of the pyramid, uh, and I'll, I'll give you the link to it, but if you read his article, you think he did it in 2014, 2013, but IP addresses or hashes, IP addresses and domains should be fully automated threat intelligence. You should never have to touch it. Now, we'll get into why I don't like those versions anyways, but for the most part, you should automate those pieces because what you want to get involved in is you want to get into those host and network artifacts that an actor may leave behind. You want to get into the into the uh, exploit kits or the root kits or the host kits that they're actually using on your system, and you want to get into the TTPs because if you can take out a kit, like say, um, what is it, uh, the PDF 
there's a PDF kit out there off the top of my head, uh, Drydex. Drydex uses a PDF kit primarily. Um, and it writes, you know, JavaScript inside PDFs or, or is it Tridex? I could be wrong. But that kit itself, um, if you take out the ability to use PDFs, for example, you render all your PDFs in, in Chrome, right, which doesn't allow any scripting code to run out of a PDF. So that now you've just inoculated yourself against those kinds of threats instead of using Adobe Acrobat Reader plugins, right, that actually mm -hmm. allow the code to execute. Same thing with um, Flash, right? If Flash is one of the delivery mechanisms, if you can take out the delivery mechanism and mitigate that, then you're then you're making it harder because now they can't use that exploit kit. They have to switch to Neutrino or or some other exploit kit to be able to deliver whatever payload they're doing. And that's what we're seeing from ransomware innovation is that they're using not just one kit, they're using multiple kits at the same time. And then the last piece is TTPs. What actor does what TTP, right? And we talked about hacktivists and script kitties wanting to know what they did, and they want to tell everybody what they did because they want credit for it, right? With cybercrime, they want money, right? If they can't get paid, they're not going to hit you multiple times and not get paid. It's not worth their dime. They want to hit you, get a pay, and move off. Well, if you think about that, the escalation of ransomware in the last year has really evolved from you know these spray and pray events where we spray and pray your environment to like things that happened with Hollywood Presbyterian where they were an entire environment compromised. They went in, they took an exploit from the outside, and then they compromised the entire environment and then said, oh, by the way, we want you to pay. And they're not asking for chump change, they're asking for $17,000, $18,000. So it's lower than what it costs to be to restore the environment, but it's enough to be a good payday, get a couple of low-hanging fruits that way. And, you know, I think the FBI, we just talked about it today, the FBI had like 3.2 million systems on the Internet that were exploitable by the same exploit that a couple of healthcare agencies got busted by. Right. Um, and that, you know, that kind of TTP leads back to what we need to focus in on, right? And threat, where does threat intelligence, so we go back to that's kind of a history and a, like an overview of what we're looking at at threat intelligence. But then if you want to go back and say, where does this come from? Well, this comes from not only the businesses, it comes from vendors, it comes from individual users, but there's two types of, uh, there's another two types of threat intelligence, right? Other than the traditional strategic operational and tactical. There's external threat intelligence, and then there's internal threat intelligence. And this one's kind of a new one because uh, I, I think it's kind of cool because I was thinking about this, and I was like, how do I tell people that they need to focus more on their internal threat intelligence while minimizing their dependency on external threat intelligence? And I couldn't really find a good analogy until recently. I just got one, and I'll throw it on you and see what you think about it. Okay. But when we talk about external threat intelligence it is the equivalent of say you know me going to nashville and checking out nashville scene and looking at all the crime syndicates and how the actors move around how the gangs move how the crime moves and then turning around and seeing how the police do their security mechanisms and then going back to charleston and saying okay this is how we're going to implement our not not guessing not modifying, but saying, we're going to take those exact indicators, those exact types of threats, and those exact defensive mechanisms, and I'm going to put them in Charleston. I'm going to employ them the same way Nashville does. Would you do that? No. 
right? No, you wouldn't. That's <laughs> no. exactly the reason why. You look at it, you go, you're crazy because that's not – how does that even equate? But everybody takes threat intelligence from a global view from some feed, right, and puts it into their sim and expects the same exact result, that it's tuned for them, that it will work for them. And what they find is, is they get a threat feed that has a lot of noise. And either they tune out the noise, which means they le- delegitimize the threat intelligence, or they have to add context to the threat intelligence to make it worthy, right, to be actionable. And that's really where I think the problem comes in is, and, you know, what it is and what we're trying to accomplish is that there's threat intelligence is the analysis and understanding of a threat. Well, what's the threat? The biggest threat you have in your environment is your own user, is your own internal assets, leaving or allowing a threat actor into your environment, right? That charity keyboard interface. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at from that threat intelligence standpoint, what threat intelligence is and what it needs to be, it needs to be at the, at, the, at the gold star level. It needs to be doing internal threat intelligence. And that leads you to reading documents like uh, from Mike Cloppert and team from Lockheed Martin about the, the kill chain. It was wonderful that, that the, the cyber kill chain and Lockheed Martin got a great thing and got a registered trademark out of it. The bad part is, is everybody locked in on seven stages but the seven stages weren't half of what was in that document. That document was TTPing or creating a technique on how to understand an adversary through multiple effects and then how to have courses of actions to approach that defense, right? And most people didn't take the defense part of it out, but they love the kill chain. Oh, I can stop them at one of seven stages. That was great, but when you get to exploitation, to installation, to command and control, to... Um, actions on the objective, those stages, there's 10 more other domains up under those as MITRE's approved with the the MITRE attack model, the adversaries, techniques, tactics, and common knowledge model, which is more about TT, actor TTPs, is that there's 10 other different ways to even do that. And, oh, we're talking about persistence. We're talking about, you know, how do we do um, installation of malware? How are we doing... Um, lateral movement, how we do collection, all these other fun things that they're doing, exfiltration. And that's when you're like, okay, so intelligence, having intelligence is one thing, right? Understanding your threat is another. Creating actionable threat intelligence is the is what you need to get to. So a lot of times when we're talking about strategic intelligence, what, what is strategic intelligence? Strategic intelligence enables the the audience right to make a decision or to guide a decision for example um i would say strategic intelligence for a business buying procedure for a CISO. what are the what is 87 percent of all your vulnerabilities where do they come from right when you look at it statistically all your vulnerabilities are coming from files malicious files malicious websites malicious emails Back, linked back to malicious websites that contain malicious files. Those three primary vectors, right? So why would you buy a uh, enterprise detection and response or EDR tool? Why would you spend $2 million on an EDR tool when you're not inspecting HTTPS? Why would you allow the a- actor for like, and here's where you use a home invasion technique. Why would you allow them in the front door into your foyer 
and then hope that you can use a gun to shoot them every time they come <laughs> through the front door when you could just leave them out on the street and then they don't get in the front door. Sure, there's going to be a few guys that are going to get through the front door, but it's not the multitudes that will come in if you leave the front door wide open. Mm -hmm. right? And that's really when we start making a decision is if 80% of your vulnerabilities are tied to malicious content traveling into your network from an external point and you're not doing inspection on the network, you're failing. You need to stop spending your money on bright, shiny objects and you need to focus back on your network because at this day and age, malware has to communicate. Malware doesn't walk into your office. Malware gets delivered to you on a silver platter through your email or through a web, web browser, right? That's really how it gets into your environment. The actors aren't running around, or at least the, the actors that we have, only penetrations or penetration people are dropping USB devices in your in your parking lot and getting you that way, right? Right. Yeah. So this this all goes back to it's what it sounds like is it all goes back to logging or you know having some kind of security operations center. Well, it, you know, the, one of the things that I was trying to champion was on the you know the small business to medium business to large mm -hmm. business. Not everybody's going to have a security operations center, right? Right. Not everybody's going to be able to do security operations as a whole, right? You need to apply the right level of security for what your capability and what you're, and assume that there are some risks, right? So if you're a small to medium-sized business, are you going to be able to build your own threat intelligence team? No, you're going to you're gonna have to realize that, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to use external threat intelligence. Okay, but how much am I going to listen to it, right? Mm -hmm. But I am going to have to pay attention to, oh, well, I, I put this AV product on or antivirus product on my environment. I need to make sure it stays up to date or I need to patch all my systems, right? I need to do some basic things Right? I need to have backups. It's amazing how ransomware made backups important again, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it was high availability before, right? High availability was the big thing that we were all worried about, get, making sure our servers are up. Well, we built, we assumed that if we built high availability, well, all we need is a tape backup. Well, that's okay, but that's not everything. Or maybe a disk to disk backup. That's okay, but. That's not really going to save you when somebody burns down your building, right? And that's, and and do you test that backup? It's those two things, right? When you haven't, I went to a breach of a healthcare organization, um, and their backup tapes they they paid for the entire event, right? And they they got owned seven ways to Sunday. And I go walking into their building, and right in front of their servers is a table full of all of their tapes, all their backup tapes. So I'm like, hey. You guys paid the ransom? They're like, yeah, yeah, we had to pay the ransom. And I'm like, but why? You had your backup tapes. Why didn't you use them? And the CIO goes to me, <laughs> I don't trust them. <laughs> we were going to lose a day's worth of data if we did it. It was cheaper to pay than it was to go through the pain that it would have taken us to restore from their one-day backups. Wow. And when you when you see it from that <laughs> level, you're just like, wow. And then you you know you're t they spent a week. This company, this particular organization, spent a week restoring 900 servers, one key at a time. Each individual server had its own unique key, so they had to go and log into that server, set up the decrypt key, run the commands, and get the get the the system to decrypt everything, then reboot it, then validate everything was working 
right? Ensure that EPHI was there, right? Or was or the lack of EPHI was there. Make sure it wasn't modified, blah, blah, blah. Go through that rigmarole just so that they could go back to operating as normal. And they barely finished that um, by Wednesday or Thursday of the next week. I mean, they were operational by the end of the weekend from their business systems, but for the most part, the rest of the organization wasn't operational, wasn't fully operational until Wednesday. But, but the malware is still there. Uh, no, the the malware was and wasn't. This particular actor was. They used an external exploit. They pivoted into the external exploit. Then they ran Mimikatz. They dropped the credentials off the server that they were on. And then this customer had a RDP session going to the internet, right? We call epic fail here, right? Mm, yeah, I'm, just... I'm rubbing my I'm rubbing my head very vigorously right now, <laughs> right? And then they just logged right in. They dropped all the executables. They ran and logged in and dropped all the executables they needed into System 32 of every box they had. They had admin rights. They walked around, they launched, they, they, they did an inventory of all the systems, they recorded all the systems they could see in inventory, then they logged which ones, created keys, sent out all the keys and all the crypto pieces, ran tools that disabled their VSS admin capability so that they lose their, their local, or what do you call it, the volume shadow copy backups, and then they ran another SQL um, backup backup removal tool that basically deleted all the SQL backend pieces so that they literally would lose their understanding of a backup. And then they went and encrypted everything. Well, they literally crippled this organization in six hours. When they started at like four o'clock and by 11 o'clock, they were done. And they couldn't stop it because the guys that were on the ground, they didn't know what they were dealing with. They, they're, you know, this was a, a one CIO and two pseudo security guys, right? That have one network guy, one ad AD guy trying to run the security operation for this particular organization. And they just got killed. And it's those, it's those kind of, but that TTP, like this is where threat intelligence comes into play and get back on track, right? But this is where threat intelligence, I was there and I have a large health, I had two large healthcare customers on my threat intelligence support line, right? So I basically took the TTP without contemplating who the customer was and basically spun it back out to those teams and said, hey, you guys need to be on lookout for new files in System 32. They look like this bat. They look like this. Oh, by the way, there's this thing called samsam.exe. There's this other thing here and there's this other thing. And look for these things in system 32 scan because you're not there's no malware if they don't use malware the only thing they do is they root into the an, the initial presence box once they get access they go back in like an admin and you don't even see them coming mm-hmm. so from that perspective they and you know they had large they had large scale um, sim environment and everything else and they didn't find any presence of it but I think it was because for us, it, this particular actor is going after low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. They're not going after big organizations. They're going after small organizations because they know their team ain't going to catch them, right? And I think that's where we're, where we're going to fall victim to 
other organizations in the near future is these small business, medium-sized businesses that haven't really spent the time to do go into threat intelligence or haven't done incident response. And, or, and that's where I think more so than threat intelligence, you need to do incident response first. Mm-hmm. Once you start learning how to respond, then you decide whether, well, do I want to do forensics or do I not want to do forensics, right? Am I going right. to play whack-a-mole? Um, because in order to do, you know, in order to get to a threat intelligence space, you have to be doing forensics of some type, right? Whether it's triage forensics or regular full-on, you know, tearing the disc down forensics, um, full-on uh e-discovery forensics. And then from that, you got to have somebody who does reverse engineering to some point to get to through to get to true threat intelligence. Because not only is it the what happens to the system, your host base and network artifacts, but it's also what does that malware do, right? What is it tied to? Tear the malware apart. And how is that malware related to the 20 other samples you've seen in the last week? Um, that's where we start to tie in the TTPs or the techniques, tactics, and procedures to a like APT or like cybercrime, like a fire eyes picking up, um, you know, the new fin one, fin two, fin three, fin six actor monikers because the APT ones aren't working anymore. Right. Because they're just not, they're, they're either not, they're not tracking on those. They're using, they, they've gotten smart and they said, oh, well, you're tracking our, our military movements, so we'll just use cybercrime and pivot through cybercrime and buy their resources when we need them, when we, have an, when we have an ability to do something. And that will do it for part one. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash e i s if you enjoyed the show share it with others and rate it on itunes have a good one